Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and go to 1 Thessalonians. And that first chapter, it's page 986, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there. Because of time, um, we kind of just dive in. We're not going to have any long opening illustrations or things like that. Um, we're just going to dive into the text. 1 Thessalonians 1, and I'm going to read verses 2 through 10. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are giving this message. We give thanks to God always for all of you, talking about the Thessalonians, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and the Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you into Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pause and ask God's blessing as we look at his word together this morning. Father, I, I want to pause now and ask for your leading and, and communication. Father, I, um, whenever we open your word, we dare not presume just to speak about it or think about it without asking your spirit to guide us. And so, Father, I pray that whatever I say in these next few minutes about this text would be accurate be faithful to the text, and it'd be clear. And I pray that I would only communicate what would be helpful, and I pray that your spirit would use this text to work, continue to work in my own soul, and then in the hearts and lives of my friends who have gathered here today. And so we, we ask these things because we want your name to be glorified and, and you to be exalted and honored. And um, we know that we can't do that without your help. So that's why we pause now, and we're dependent upon you. There's a lot of distractions in our lives, and the enemy would love to keep us from thinking about this text of Scripture. And so for the next few minutes, I pray that we'd be able to set aside all those things, and your spirit would push those things away so we could focus in on you and your word, because you are worthy of that. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. A couple of little background pieces about the book. I've got a couple of maps to show you. The first map I want to show you um, has the idea of uh, Paul's uh, missionary journeys there, okay? And so he has, uh, you can see this, uh, 
the one that goes over into Macedonia in the upper left-hand corner there. Um, I don't know if you can see, but that's kind of the region of where it's at. Crete is the island here. Israel's over in here. Cyprus there. And so this was the missionary journey of Paul. And so and you can see Thessalonica. The next map shows a little bit of a blow-up kind of of that area there. And so that number eight there in the bottom left-hand corner is Thessalonica. Seven is Philippi. Troas is number six. Uh, and goes up, started up in Antioch, and so that's where he was going through his missionary trip. If, we won't take time, but if, if we were to go through the book of Acts, we could see this charted out here, and we could see that he had, uh, Paul had uh, different types of reception there, but in Philippi, he was thrown into jail, he and Silas were thrown into jail, uh, Thessalonica we already read about, and so this was a time in Paul's ministry it would have been very easy for him to be very discouraged because he wasn't, he was getting lots of opposition. Sure, there was good things happening too, as we read about in Thessalonica, but he was being run out of cities, being imprisoned. This is what's happening in the context of this. But then we see this faith, this grow in the Thessalonian church. Uh, Silas and Timothy stayed there for a while, as we already saw, and they continued to do the work of uh, training people for Jesus Christ in the church of Thessalonica here. And as we read just a second ago, that embryonic faith, that church that started in the midst of controversy, that started in the, mixed, in the, in the middle of mixed results, we see it, it, this tremendous faith and this, this global outreach and mission came out of this church here. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to just unpack this just for a few minutes, this text, and show us that um, our personal faith is intended to be shared globally. So if, if you're going to walk away with one thing today, that's the phrase I want you to walk away from, is that your personal faith is intended to be shared globally. Okay? We see this from the Thessalonians. Now... In order to unpack this, we need to look a little bit about uh, what was going on here. And first of all, in verse 4, I want you to notice it says, We know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Um, this message isn't going to be about divine election, okay? But I have to talk about it because it's in the text. And so what I'm going to do is I may talk about this just for a few minutes, and it actually may bring up more questions than answers in your mind. And if that happens, I would hope that you would send me an email, send me a note. We'll get together and we'll talk about this. I'd be happy to talk about what the Bible in totality says about the subject because the sermon isn't going to cover that. But I do have to mention it because, as our first point is going to be, is that our faith or your faith is a personal gift from God. We have to believe that because the Bible teaches that. Ephesians chapter 2 teaches that. This text teaches that, that if we're going to have global faith, the first thing that we need to realize, though, is just like the Thessalonians, is that the faith that you and I have, if you're a believer here today, if you're someone who claims to know Jesus Christ and claims to follow him and claims to have faith in him, if that's you here today, then you need to understand that it's only because it was a gift from God to you. You're not smarter than anyone else. I'm not smarter than anyone else. It was something that God has done in our hearts, in our lives. If you're not a believer in Christ, if you're not somebody, if you're here today and you don't believe in Christ or you're on the fence about that, then you need to wrestle with this a little bit. You need to ask God for it. I, I've told us to say, well, wait a minute here. If it's a gift, then I don't know if I've got it. And will God not give it to me if I want it? Well, this is one of those gifts that if you ask God for it, he's going to give it to you. 
Um, I've talked with agnostics before, and I've shared this story before, I know, but I've talked with agnostics, and uh, you understand that agnostic, agnostic by definition is someone who says they don't know. They, they, they have the possibility in their, they should, if they're an honest agnostic, they would have their, in, their, in, the reign, in the realm of possibility uh, a God or a higher being. They just do not know if he exists or not. And so they're, they're, they're unsure. That's, that's agnosticism. And so when I'm talking to someone like that, and there's a lot of people that are living in that world, I, I tell them, I say, well, tell you what, why don't you do this? Why don't you ask God to give you faith in him? Ask him. And usually they look at me like, well, why would I do that? I say, because what do you have to lose, first of all? If God isn't true, then you're not going to have faith in him anyway. And you're no better off than where you are right now. You're in the same spot. But if God is true, is that something that he's really going to say no to? And so, honestly, ask God to give you faith. And so faith is a gift from God, we see. And so we need to understand this idea of chosen here. If we're going to be like the Thessalonians, we're going to have global faith. In order to, to fully appreciate this, we need to understand that it is a gift from God. It's a personal gift from God. Now, as I said, this idea of chosen here is, it means it shows that they heard the gospel. Okay? He unpacks this in verse 5 of what he means by God choosing them. In verse 5, he says that the gospel came to them in word, or not only in word, but first it was word. Romans teaches us that how can they hear with a preacher, okay? And so faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so for in order for anyone to have faith, there has to be a time in her life where they hear the word of God. Now, not everyone who does hear the word of God will have faith in God, but in order to have faith in God, you have to have heard the word of God. And that's what he's saying here, because the gospel came, not to, came to you not only in word, and this is the second part, but also in power. They were impacted by the power of the gospel message. These Thessalonian believers, they had, they understood the gospel and the power of it that Jesus Christ came and he lived a sinless life and he died a death that he should not have to die so that they can have forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel message. It started back in the Garden of Eden where we had Adam and Eve and we had, the, had one rule to follow, just one rule, and they couldn't follow, they disobeyed. And Romans 5 teaches us that death comes into the world as a result of that. And now we all have to deal with this thing called death because it's the penalty, the payment of sin. This is the reason why Jesus' death was important. It's because of any person who ever lived on this earth, there was one person who did not have to die, and that was Jesus Christ. And yet he did die. He died because he chose to die. You and I do not die because we choose to die most of the time. We die because it's inevitable and it will happen. But Jesus could have lived forever, but he did not. He gave up his life so he could take on the punishment, the penalty of sin. Sin that he never created, he never committed. And so that he could then stand in our place. And so his righteousness, all of his goodness, all the things of him keeping the law and him being perfectly obedient to God while on earth could be put on our account. This is the gospel message. This is the hope that we have. This is the only hope that we have. And this is what the Thessalonians understood. They understood the power of that message. They believed in it. 
But not only that, it talks about how the Holy Spirit, it says it came, that they were chosen. And that's how did they know that they were chosen? Because the gospel came not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. This is key. The Holy Spirit takes the truths of God's word and impresses it on someone's heart and someone's mind and someone's life. And this is how we have faith. And it says it with full conviction here. They felt the conviction of the gospel. Now, this is not everyone's experience. There have been many times where people have sat under the preaching of God's word and they have walked away actually even more hardened against God than when they walked in. And we have to ask ourselves, what's the difference? We have to ask ourselves, why is it, and I've asked myself this question many times, why is it that I, as a young boy, believed in the gospel message of Jesus Christ? And other people who had similar backgrounds as I did, even family members in the same family of me, they don't have that same faith. Why is that? Is it because I'm more intellectual? No. Spend 10 minutes with me. And I will prove that to you. I will try to, but it just, it's a gift of mine, okay? All right? It's not, I won't prove that I'm not more intellectual, I'm not smarter. It was the Holy Spirit taking His Word and impressing upon my heart with full conviction. I remember as a boy feeling the full conviction that if I did not believe in Christ, if I did not serve Him with my life, then my life would be useless. It doesn't make me better. It doesn't make me wiser. It just makes me, it gives me a platform to say, glory be to God. And that is it. And that's what these Thessalonians were like. They realized that their faith was, their personal faith was a gift from God. And that's what I want you to wrestle with today. If you're sitting here today and you believe in Jesus Christ, do you think that that is because you've just made better choices than other people? Or is it, do you go back to God and say, God, thank you. Because, you see, the more we realize that it was God who did this, it was a gift from God, the more we're submitted to him and we're letting him call the shots in our lives. But the more we feel like this religion thing or my faith is part of my doing and my negotiating and my wisdom, then I'm in control of it at that point. I get to call the shots of what I do with my faith. You see how this is fundamental and foundational for how we even live our lives. And so if we're going to have this global impact like the Thessalonians did, we need to first understand that our faith is a personal gift from God. This idea of being chosen is consistent in Scripture. And I could go through many texts of Scripture, but due to time, I'm not going to. And I would invite you to have a conversation with me. But I'm going to show you two verses on the screen. One of them is Hebrews, excuse me, Acts chapter 13, verse 48. It says, and when the Gentiles heard this, this is when Paul's mission trip, his first mission trip. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began to rejoice and glorify the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. That's a hard text to get around. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So the ones who believed were the ones who were appointed to eternal life. He said, now wait a minute here. Doesn't the Bible talk about that God saved the world? That God, you know, is, is, he's not willing any should perish, that all should come to repentance. Yes. So what about that? Does the Bible teach that only those who believe are appointed? Yes. Can you reconcile that for me? No. 
But I know what the scriptures teach. I know that if I believe in God, it is because he has done the work in my life. That's all I know. Now, I, I don't understand how it all meshes together. I don't understand that. I do know that the nature of God is to save people. I know that God's nature is to be just. I know that God's nature is loving. I know that God's nature is merciful. I know that God's nature is holy. And I know that because of his holiness, he has to judge sin and there's wrath there. And so how all this fits together, you and I can get together and we can wrestle through it together. I would love to do that. But for our purpose today, we need to understand that if you have faith, it is because God did that work in your life. That's the thing we need to understand. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. I was going to take time to work through a couple other texts to show you, but because of time, I'm not going to, but I'll give you a couple references I want you to look at. If, if your mind's spinning right now, write down these two references and look them up later on and we can talk about it. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 and Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 and Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. Those are some texts you're going to want to look at, okay? And then we can get together and talk about that. But I want to make the implication that if God, if, if our faith truly is a personal gift from God, what's the implication of this? Is that our faith is a gift and it was motivated solely by God's love. And we saw that for verse 4, for we know, brothers, loved by God that he has chosen you. So it was God's love that started it. It wasn't me saying, man, I need this Jesus thing. More, I need this forgiveness of sins. We, we are so blinded by our sin. Ephesians 2 talks about us being dead in our sins. That we wouldn't even know. We wouldn't even know that we need this or we would even want this. But the motivation, according to this text, is God's love towards us and we're motivated by. It. And so if we're going to believe this about, if we're going to believe this about God, we need to understand that our faith is a gift from Him. And so, what's the takeaway? Here's the takeaway God determines the purpose of your faith since it is His gift to you. He determines the purpose of it. Since he gave it to you, then he gets to call the shots on us. That's going to have implications on what we do with that faith. Now, to be sure, part of faith's purpose is for forgiveness and salvation from wrath. But that's not the only purpose. A lot of times, that's where people stop. They say, well, my faith is so I don't have to be accountable for my sins. And so I don't have to go to hell. And I can have forgiveness of sins. Yes, that is a purpose. But it doesn't stop there. No, rather, it is our faith has been given so that we share to other people. This is what God has done. This is, this is uh, Romans chapter 10 being played out here of how God has worked it so that his message would be going to the nations. And we take what he's done for us and we share it. So the question I need to ask you this morning is, who was the last person you shared your personal faith with? If you're a parent, it should be your children, okay? That should be a constant thing. But we have coworkers in our lives. We have people we run into all the time that we should make a connection. This is one of the reasons why we're trying to give you these invite cards. We're just trying to make it as easy as possible for you to have a door, an opportunity to maybe even just have a conversation with someone. Now, that card that you have in your seat today is not going to be the full gospel message. But it may just give you, say, hey, yeah, I'd just like to invite you to my church. And you know what? There's some pretty cool videos on the back about answers to life's toughest questions. And you know, there's been in the news a lot about abortion and things like that. There's a really helpful video on that site. I just encourage you to look at it. 
and to see if the conversation goes from there. But the point is, we need to be willing to have that conversation. And so this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to get people to be thinking about who can I talk with? Who can I invite to a place where we're going to teach the Bible and they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ? So, in order for us to have this global faith like the Thessalonians, we understand that the personal faith was a gift from God, just like we see it was here in verse 4 and 5 of this text. Secondly, I need to move on. Secondly, if we're going to have this global faith, if our personal faith was meant to be shared globally, we need to understand that our faith-sharing strategy does not have to be unique. Our faith-sharing strategy does not have to be unique. There's a lot of times what, what hinders us is when we say, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I'm a little bit a little fuzzy on the details. I, I, know, I know conceptually I'm supposed to give my faith out, but I don't, know, I don't really understand what that means, what that looks like. Well, here, I'm here to liberate you from feeling like you've got to reinvent the wheel. I'm here to liberate you today to feel like that you have to be a super creative person. I am not a creative person. I like lanes, I like boxes, okay? And just give me the parameters. This is one of the reasons why I like school so much. It's because, you know, they give me a syllabus. They gave me a syllabus. I looked at the syllabi and I ran through all the syllabi and I looked at, okay, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. Bun, done, boom, get it done, easy. Tell me what to do, I'll do it. But when it comes to creativity, Making up your own thing and stuff like that. That's where I'm like, I have no idea. All right? I, I have no idea. But our faith-sharing strategy does not require this intense creativity. We can actually just follow the example of other people. Because that's what the Thessalonians did. Look at the text again. It says in verse 6, And you became imitators of us. And of the Lord, for you received the word of much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So what led them to having this global faith was that they first just started imitating Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Silas and Timothy stayed there for a while, and so they just continued to follow their example. And then as they learned about Jesus more, then Jesus replaced that, and then they just followed the example of Jesus Christ here. So the initially... The Thessalonians simply imitated Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and it helped them in affliction. It says they had joy in the midst of affliction. You know, Paul is writing to these people. One of the reasons, if you study the book, you'll see one of the reasons why he's writing is because he's having to defend against the accusations of those Thessalonian Jews that kept following him around. And that's why he says many times in this book, well, you remember, brothers, and we just saw, you know what kind of men we were in verse 5. He, he's assuring them of, you remember what we said here, because what you're hearing about us isn't true. So the point is, when the, when the persecution came to the Thessalonians, they knew how to respond because they had Paul's example, Silas' example, Timothy's example. But they, more importantly, imitated Christ according to this text. As they learned more about him, they uh, became uh, followers of him and imitated him. Now, we don't have all the data on exactly what it was and the ways that they imitated these people. But the point is, is that they saw what Paul and Silas and Timothy were doing and they said, I can do that. Then they looked at um, uh, what Jesus had done. They said, we can do that too. And so let me encourage you just to take a second and go over in your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. You can hold your place because we'll come back to 1 Thessalonians. But 1 Peter chapter 2, 
This will be on page 1015, and for using the Bible's provided for you there. I just want to show you about one thing that maybe that they could have looked at Jesus for. This is a Peter the Apostle writing to people who are dispersed, and they were going through trials as well, much like probably the Thessalonians were going through. But Peter here talks about how that we are to follow Christ. Um, verse 13, it says, Be separate for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor's supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those to, who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Live as people who are free, not as using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to do good to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now pay attention to this. For this, to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. There is a perfect example of a text of scripture that says, here Christ is our example. And one of the things that I love about that is it says, instead of threatening, instead of taking, he was going through persecution, instead of, of, of fighting back, he said he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And that's what Paul and Silas were doing. So you're going to invite someone to church one day. You're going to share someone. You're going to share your faith with someone someday. And they're going to look at you and they're going to say, you know, I'm tired of you Christians being so judgmental. I'm tired of you forcing your religion, trying to cram it down people's throats. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? That you think that you are so much smarter than everyone else. You think you're so much better than everyone else. Well, I got news for you, buddy. You're not. And in that moment, you have a great example to follow. That's Jesus. In that moment, you don't have to fight back. In that moment, you don't have to argue or try to debate them into submission. By the way, that never works, okay? What you have in that moment, if your faith is going global, you entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. And you say, God knows my motives. God knows that I'm not thinking better of myself than these people. I'm just trying to share the word of God. I'm just going to trust myself to the one who judges justly. You do that, and if I do that, God will use that to have our faith have global impact. You see, we don't have to reinvent the wheel here. We don't have to figure out new and creative ways necessarily. Now, I'm not against methodology. I'm not against the idea of, of us finding uh, a strategic ways to connect with people. We do that here in our community. But... What I am against is moving away from simply giving people the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
That is what the people need. Do you realize that what our country needs most is for people to believe in Jesus? More than repealing laws, and I'm for it if we can, but more than uh, uh, getting different congressmen in or, or people in place, more than a president or, or any government official, what this country needs is Jesus Christ. And the only way that this country is going to get Jesus Christ is one person at a time and us sharing our faith. You see, we don't have to come up with new and creative ways. We simply can just get to know Jesus, get to know what the apostles did. If you know of another Christian brother or sister that is good at just having conversations with people, ask them, imitate them. We don't have to come up with new and creative ways. But I want, but I want you to see something here. Look at this, it says, and you became imitators of us. Drop down verse seven. That was in verse 6, now verse 7, back in 1 Thessalonians. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You need to remember that today's imitators become tomorrow's examples. Today's imitators become tomorrow's examples. Did you see this there? Did you see that they were first imitators and now they're examples? I remember back in 1993, there was... Uh, at the height of what I would call the NBA, National Basketball Association, when I used to follow that. Um, one of the players for the Philadelphia 76ers, his name was Charles Barkley. If you follow basketball today, you'll hear him uh, on TNT. Uh, he's a sports commentator. I used to watch him. Uh, he went to Auburn University, and then he played in the National Basketball Association, mainly for the 76ers, later on for the Suns, and I think even a short stint with the Rockets. But the point is, is that in 1993, he came out with a commercial. And his commercial, he's rebounding the basketball. His, his nickname in college was Round Mound of the Rebound, okay? Not a very flattering nickname, but hey, you know, it worked for him. He's rebounding all these basketballs and everything, and he keeps saying one thing over and over again in this commercial. He says, I am not a role model. Your parents are role models. Your teachers are role models. And, and he says, I am not a role model. Now, this was a pushback of when he had done something in the NBA and got fined for it. And people were saying, hey, you need to understand your role model of the children. You can't be doing this stuff. And so he comes out with this commercial, I am not a role model. And I remember even back in 1993, thinking to myself, whether you like it or not, Chuck, you are a role model. You can claim not to be a role model. You can claim that you don't want people following you. But like it or not, you are. Every one of us has a sphere of influence around us. And so, today's imitators become tomorrow's examples. And so, who you're imitating today will affect on how you are an example to people who will imitate you in the future. Every one of us has, an, has a, as I said, has people who we have influence over. And so this thing is a two-edged sword. We can use it for good and we can use it for bad. And so if you're here today, you need to understand, particularly dads, you need to understand that if you are just simply imitating the world's philosophy and imitating what the world wants you to do and what is valuable to the world, guess what? You are being an example of that to the next generation. And you don't even have to be a, a, a father here. People in the church, a 
other people are looking to you. So my point is this. If you're just simply imitating something, what are you imitating? Because that is what you're going to be an example of. Good or bad. And so what the Thessalonians is, they imitated the right people and it became examples. So you need to understand that this could be good or bad, but you also understand the scope of it. They imitated a few, but they became an example to many more. And so we're examples, whether we realize it or not, and we have influence over people far more reaching than we realize. And so we don't have to get creative. We can simply imitate good things, good people, imitate Christ to share our faith globally. Now I need to finish with this point. Your life transforming faith is your global platform. So we're talking about your, today we're talking about your personal faith is meant to, is intended to be shared globally. We talked about how that in order to do it, we need to understand that a personal faith is a gift. And so God calls the shots on what we do with that, not ourselves. And he tells us to give it away. So we need to do that. Secondly, we don't have to get creative. We can simply imitate people just like the Thessalonians did here. But our faith has to be life-transforming in order to have a global platform. The key is life-transforming faith here. We need to understand that true faith transforms. If you have faith in God, true faith in God, it will transform your life. But if you've been able to have faith in God and it not affect you year after year after year, you need to ask yourself if you have true faith. Because true faith transforms. How do I know that? Again, let's go back to the text here. We see an interesting thing here. We see that it says, remembering, this is back verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope, faith, hope, and love that we see all the time in the New Testament here. But then later on in verse 9 and 10, it says that how that those three things were actually played out. I put it on a graph on the screen so that you can see it. For they themselves report concerning the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols, faith, to serve the living and true God. There's service, labor of love. Then it says that, that the, um, in waiting for the Son from heaven who will be raised from the dead, there's the steadfastness of hope in Jesus Christ. This was the life-transforming word. This is the life, the, 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 the faith that transformed their life is that they not only just believed in God and faith, but then that produced a turning for away from idols. And so it was a, a, a very exclusive belief in Jesus. And so it was a, I'm not going to continue on following the path of, of my culture is what the Thessalonians had to wrestle with. They're not going to embrace the, 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 the polytheistic uh, culture of their time. They said, no, we're going to turn from all those idols and we're only going to serve God. We're only going to serve the true of God. This was their act of faith and their service of love, their labor of love. The word labor there means just working in ex- to the point of exhaustion there. This is the idea of them of, of, of then serving uh, the, the living and true God and then of course that is waiting for the glorious appearing and great God our Savior Jesus Christ like Paul wrote to Timothy excuse me Titus. And so if we're going to have a global platform of our faith, our faith has to be transforming our lives. And so this is this turning from idols. This is one of the reasons why we're doing the stewardship series in our Sunday school time and our adult discipleship hour. It's because stewardship, and that is not just money, 
okay? We, we can't say it enough. It's our time, it's our skills, it's everything that we have we need to be good stewards of. And if we're hanging on to those things, if we're keeping them for our own selves, then those have become idols. And so we need to turn away from those things. And so what we're trying to do, and Don reminded us of that this morning when he was teaching, how we turn away from that stuff. The idea, that's why we're encouraging people to do this. So I encourage you to be part of that series. Labor of love, this means working hard. This is, it means doing things that are inconvenient. Sometimes that means, you know, being part of a small group is inconvenient at times. But be part of that group because you need it and the group needs you. So there's the idea of labor of love there. Ex expanding the base ministries that we've talked about. These are ways to do these labors of love. Steadfast us of hope. Are we living as if Jesus were to return today? So these people, these Thessalonians, they had global faith. It had an impact all over the world. It was simply because it was a personal faith. They imitated other people. And they allowed the gospel to change their lives. And the point is this. I don't think that the Thessalonians went out and said, we're going to reach the entire world for Jesus. But God used that. God used their simple life-changing faith to impact many, many people. And you say, well, how about me? I don't have a platform like that. First Peter talks about how angels are so amazed at the gospel that they're just looking into and they're watching. Let me tell you that you have a, a cosmic platform if you allow the gospel to change your life. And you give it out to other people, the angels are wondering, and they're amazed at that. And so we have a cosmic platform, not just a global one. And so let me say this before I close. If your faith isn't transforming your life, it will not be used to transform anyone else's. But a changed life will impact more people than you can possibly imagine or ever know. So we must believe the gospel is the answer to our country's problems. We must use God-ordained means to give the gospel to the world, and we must trust God to bring the results. Remember I said in the beginning that your personal faith is intended to be shared globally. And so let me encourage you to do that this week. Let me give you three suggestions, three homework assignments, and then we'll pray and sing our last song. First of all, let me encourage you to hand out three invite cards this week. Hand them out. Invite someone to church. Ask God to direct you to the right people, but don't wait for divine revelation. Just give them to someone, okay? Someone maybe at a restaurant this afternoon, you're at a restaurant, just give it to them. Don't make that their tip though, please, okay? Don't do that. In fact, when I give a card to a server, I always make sure to say, now this is not your tip, okay? All right, I save the smile on the face, and I'm like, well, thank you for that. Um, but I do, I, I would invite you to come to our church sometime. Um, so, hand out three cards this week. Pray for three people's salvation this week. And if you don't have three names in, in your mind that you can think you need Jesus, I can give them to you. But then it also means you need to, to expand your circle, okay? But pray for three people's salvation this week. And then I want you to ask God to show you what three idols you need to turn away from. And you say, well, that's pretty presumptuous of you, thinking that I have three idols that you turn away from. Here's the point. If you start asking God to reveal idols in your life, you are going to find more than just three. Okay? So let's start there. Three things this week. Hand out three cards. Pray for three people who saved. Ask God to show you what three idols you need to turn away from. Because this is exactly how it started with the Thessalonians. And their faith went global.
And that's what God can do with you and with our church here. It's not just what God can do. I believe it's what God wants us to do. So let's obey God. We can't hide this personal faith and keep it for ourselves. It's got to be shared globally. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we've had to look at this text. I pray it's been helpful. I pray that each one of us would not hang on to our personal faith. I pray that we would seek to give it out globally. Um, you've, you've given it to us for that purpose. You haven't given it to us to, to hoard it. Um, as Don reminded us in the Adult Discipleship Hour, hoarding leads is idolatry. And so I pray that we would give away what you have given to us, the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that any idols that are keeping us from doing that, you would bring it to the forefront of our minds, even right now. And I pray that we repent of that and that we would forsake that. Father, you deserve for each one of us to follow you and to, to be bold in our, our sharing of our faith. So forgive us, strengthen us, and may we see you do wonderful things. We're praying for 11 people to be saved this year. And in order to do that, in order for that to happen, you have to do a work in people's hearts, but you've asked us to tell them. That's our only responsibility. And I pray that we would do that. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.